Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. Out of stock. Three words with a great deal of significance for retailers and their customers. It is estimated that retail products are out of stock 8% of the time in physical stores and 14% of the time in e-commerce stores, leading to frustration for retailers and customers alike. Retailers miss out on important revenue from foregone sales. Customers leave unfulfilled and are less likely to return to the same retailer or recommend it to others in their network. And supply chains feel the ripples of these gaps between demand and supply. This is a trillion dollar problem globally. The solution to this problem is not just about demand forecasting, but also knowing what you have in stock, which is a huge challenge in itself. To understand how to solve this challenge, I recently spoke to Min Chen, who is the co-founder and CEO of YC Inc. The company's technology is focused on reducing retail stockouts and waste with artificial intelligence and data analytics. Min is a seasoned entrepreneur and an all-round interesting person. Having migrated from China to Panama at age four, she now lives in Silicon Valley after moving wisely from Panama to the US in 2020. What a time to make that move. In this episode of Leaders of Analytics, you will learn how AI can help solve a global trillion dollar supply chain problem, how to develop a product market fit for AI solutions, how to bootstrap a startup in a difficult environment, why YC decided to move the company from Panama to Silicon Valley, and much more. Let's get to it. Here is Min. Min Chen, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. I am so excited to have you on the show. I've learned a bit about you the last few weeks, and I think this is going to be a great episode. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really honored to be here. Let's get straight into today's questions. So I've given a bit of an intro before people hear from you straight up, but in your own words, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your career background, and what you do? Sure. I have a background in technology and, and business with 20 years of experience. I, I got a, my bachelor's in computer engineering. Then I got a software, a master's program in Carnegie Mellon. And then I got into executive ed- education programs at the University of California, Berkeley and Stanford. 
And I've been an entrepreneur for over 15 years. This is my second company. And I consider myself a multicultural, really curious person because I was born in China. I grew up in Latin America. I studied in the United States. I lived in several countries. I speak three languages and now I'm back to into the city of San Francisco. So it's a little hard for me to, to answer the question, where are you from? When people ask me that. I think I can safely say you're the first person with a Chinese name, a Hispanic accent who lives in the US that I have ever met. So it is quite a unique combination. What do you think that actually has given you in your life? I know that's a big question, but what's that worth to you, all those things? I find it easier for me to connect with people who are different because I I have had interaction with three cultures, but I think that helped me understand the differences that even with people that from countries that I've not been to and also helped me understand global problems, like what, what are the consequences? And, and from a business perspective, this also helped me to be more conscious when we are expanding to other countries that the way that it works in the United States, it might not work in other countries or it will definitely work not in working in other countries because it's just the, the values are different and, and people. And even the language also determines how people think and behave. So that's it's really cool to, to be able to connect at that level. Yeah, I think personally, when I moved to Australia from Denmark many years, even though the cultures are quite similar. I had some uh, cultural faux pas now and then where I would say things that might be normal in Denmark, but not so normal here. Having that background that you have is, I think, just a unique strength that very few people would have. Okay. Now you in yourself is an interesting person, but you have also done something very interesting, which is you have founded an AI company. And I wouldn't mind hearing a bit more about that. So you're the co-founder and CEO of YZ. Could you tell us a bit about that company and the problems you're trying to solve for your customers? Yes. So YC is the the second company I found. Uh, We are solving a problem that affects everybody who shops at a store. All of us had the inconvenience of not finding products that we want to buy. And this is a $1.9 trillion problem for companies in the consumer packaged good industry, those companies that create the products that we want to buy. Most of these uh, problems are due to out of stock. So the product wasn't there when we wanted to buy it. The flip side of that is that a lot of products go to waste because they, they were not sold on time. And you can imagine that this problem happens for many reasons, from having a shortage to not knowing uh, when to restock the products. And that's the most common problem. Companies do not have the information for the person who has to restock the product on time. And that's the problem that we help solving with artificial intelligence. So we see ourselves as giving superpowers to field employees. So imagine the self-representatives, merchandisers, even the store associates of this industry to instead of relying on their eyeballing capabilities, their fingers and their memory to check whether all the products that we want to buy are there in the right quantity and the right pricing, They just take a picture with their cell phone or their iPads and we return that answer within seconds and help them figure out what the next step should be or and where to focus their energy. So yeah, it's very interesting. That's fascinating. So they literally can use the device that's in their pocket to scan shelves or how does it work? Yes, they can. We have both the picture taking capability, but also a video scan capability to make it more user-friendly for the field employee. So if it is a huge shelf, 
they might not want to take a lot of pictures, but they just take a video and scan the shelf. Or if they want to get be closer and they can take several pictures and they don't have to be overlapping, by the way. And that's an innovation we had to create to make AI suitable for humans. So to understand the technology, it you, you take a picture or a video of, say, the drinks aisle and it'll count the number of every product that's on the shelves there. Is that how it works? Yes, it counts the visible products to help answer questions such as are there enough products for each of the flavors or imagine there are thousands of flavors of each category or variations are there in the right position are there the right amount of facings for each one do they have the right pricing and so or is there any product that shouldn't be there but it's somehow there like what happened uh, so we can answer many questions with the same picture in a matter of seconds, saving the, the field employee maybe at least 15, per, 15 minutes that it takes them to count the products. And I mean, not only counting, but also relying on their memory of what are the products and the variations of the products that have to be at that specific store. And it varies per store and it varies based on the season as well. You're, you're uh, reminding me of my late teens. When I was going through school, I worked at a supermarket and I remember doing all these manual tasks like going to the back freezer to get stuff for a customer because whatever was meant to be there in the counter was sold out. And sometimes it took me 15 minutes to figure out whether we actually had it or not because I had to look for the box with the name on it frozen peas or whatever it might have been. Sometimes we do stock take of the whole store and that would take every employee combined hours and hours to do that. And uh, there was miscounting and we had to double count because we had to make sure that we were counting correctly, in fact. So it was counting of counting. And other than that, every night as I worked in the um, perishable goods department, we would just throw out hundreds and hundreds of products that were about to go off that were... For all intents and purposes, just as good as as new, but they didn't meet the quality standards of the supermarket. So as someone who's been on the ground there, I see the massive waste that go through that industry. But perhaps could you put some numbers on the benefits that your customers see from using your platform? What's the typical uplift? So as you already mentioned, the waste in this industry is huge. Like we have had customers telling us that it's maybe 20% of their, their products are, are gone to waste because they were not sold on time. And the reason they were not sold on time is that because they either purchased too many products for that specific store that what were, that product was not rotating enough, or they did not restock the shelves and the products stay in the back of the store. So that's one side. But the other side is also the out-of-stocks are in the U.S. are 8.5% and even higher outside the U.S. So it's like the same root cause is creating problems with out-of-stocks and also waste. So using this kind of technology that helps field staff to increase their efficiency by around 25% and increase the accuracy of these, imagine, you know, human counting is 60% accurate, 80% accurate at most. And we're increasing this to consistently be above 90%. This can lead to a combined benefit of recovering revenue, 3%, 10%, depending on how, you know, the situation of the company before we, they started using this kind of technology. Yeah, that's massive. So my quick maths is that one in 11, one in 12 products are just not on the shelf 
at any point in time because they're out of stock. So you can see what a massive benefit this sort of solution can be to. Yeah, and, and sometimes they're they're not on the shelf because they, it wasn't obvious for the person who had to restock the shelf that the product was missing. So for example, sometimes there is a hole because one flavor sold out. And then somebody else at the retailer will just cover that hole with another product because, you know, they don't want to look at holes. That, that gives a bad impression. And then the person that has to restock the shelf is looking for the holes and that person doesn't see the hole. So that product doesn't get restocked. It doesn't get purchased again and it doesn't get sold. So there are a lot of issues that would lead to the same out-of-stock problem. But it's not a, most of the time, it's not because the product was not available in the back of the store. And there's a big customer experience element to that too, isn't there? There's not getting the product, but the, I remember a few situations where I have, I have purchased the products that I thought was on discount, but uh, in actual fact, someone had put a different product there and I hadn't read the label properly and they put it part the product there because the thing that was on discount was sold out. Exactly. Uh, maybe I need to read science better. That's another element, but I can definitely see the benefit of the solution here to retailers. How did you end up starting this company in the first place? And why did you choose AI as the solutions to these customer problems? So we are four co-founders. And before starting this company, we had already decades of industry experience. So we knew that for many industries, collecting data at physical locations and get that real-time feedback to improve their operations was a challenge. So we created a platform to help companies collect data at physical locations and process that information in real time. And then over time, we focus exclusively on the consumer packaged good industry because that's the one with a major problem, a large market size, it's a global problem, and it also allowed us to, to scale faster than any other industry. Um, and on, on top of that, it's also an industry that touches every household. Every household has a consumer packaged product, at least. And the average is like 2,200 products per household. So through this industry and helping innovate in this industry would also allow us to improve the quality of life for every family in the world. Yeah, nice. So how did you start with this? Did you start coding in a garage as uh, the story often is. How did you get started? What was day one like? Yes. So this is, YC is my second company. My previous company was a innovation management firm where I was helping large corporations, including CPG companies to do digital transformation. So this started as a project. As I, At first, it was a hypothesis that evolved into a project within my first company. And it, in a few months, it just took off. Like we, we started building this platform. We started selling the platform. And we had customers from different industries paying to be the first customers or among the first customers to use this kind of technology. And that's how we, we bootstrap the first uh, two years because so we, we started the, the company in Panama because we were all there, because there's no investment for startup, there's no ecosystem. We had to do innovation as a traditional company. So meaning looking for customers really early, which is also a good practice for startups anyway. We knew that we had to expand to Silicon Valley because Panama was just a test bed for us. 
Yeah, so there's something to say about these companies that come out of environments that are not that uh, conducive to actually growing companies. They must have some resilience. And it sounds like you really had a customer take up uh, very early on. So that must have kind of confirmed that your idea was right as well as giving you cash flow. Yes, it it was a good situation, but it also created a lot of challenges for us down the road by having early customers from different industries. So one of the things a startup should do is to focus on one thing and be specializing that thing to be the, become the best, especially when you are in Silicon Valley where you know you don't have to build a Swiss knife. You only have to build like that, the German knife that would only cut that vein, for example, because you will you have all the resources to be able to specialize. So when we expanded to Silicon Valley, that was one of the feedback we were frequently getting focus on one industry. Well, when you have customers paying to use your technology from different industries, it's difficult to answer to choose. And many people will say, well, choose where the money is coming from. Like, well, yeah, but it's coming from all these industries. So where do I start? If we didn't have any customer, it was going to be an easy answer. Nobody wants this. We just close it or pivot completely and do something else. If we had one customer, it was going to be also an easy answer because, well, it seems that it only resonated with the industry. But we had the benefit of having customers at the beginning, but the fact that they were from different industries using the tool, the platform to solve different data problems also made it a challenge for us to choose. So it took us a while to decide to solely focus on the CPG industry. So what industries were in play in the beginning and how did you end up making that what would have been a very hard choice, I imagine? We had from construction companies that were collecting data about construction sites to potholes because they wanted to sell a contract to the government to gas and oil because they wanted to collect data about their the, the gas stations and to also CPG. So CPG was early on one of the earlier customers. And within these companies, we also have several departments wanting to use the platform. We talked to marketing, sales operations, and even to human resources that also wanted to use this platform to collect and also engage with people. So it was a multi-layer process to figure out, okay, which industry, which area in that industry, and what of the many problems that our platform could potentially solve, we want to focus on first. Now we know is the consumer packaged good industry, specifically in the sales execution area. So is it fair to say that you were looking for where you could see opportunity in the industry itself, uh, the, the value creation that you could create? Sounds like each of those examples that you gave were a good ideas in their own right. But was there also an element of the pull from the industry that you felt as in the desire for the product um, or the solution? Yeah, so the, we felt the pull after the pandemic because before that we had, like every company we approached, there was some kind of interest and then some ended up being customers. So we had that interest, but the pull really happened after the pandemic that we went from getting leads in a few countries to now in 20 countries. And most of them were not even companies that we tried to contact. These were companies that came to us because they found about us on a web search or 
they were, for example, we'd have a big partnership with SAP that accelerated our company. So they came through SAP and so forth. So the pool happened after the pandemic and that gave us a, conf- a confirmation of what we were already uh, looking into that the CPG co- industry was the one to focus on first. So what changed during the pandemic that made retailers or CPG particularly open up their eyes to the need for something like this? Yes, there were well, several things. Um, first, that you had to be able to communicate with your teams remotely because these grocery stores and, and every physical location was limiting the amount of people that could be at a certain moment, including employees, the uh, partners and customers. So they had less people doing the same thing and they had to collaborate with them remotely. So the uh, being able to give them feedback or collect data became a problem. Then uh, high rotation because people were getting sick or even now like these companies have problems finding people. And when you find people, they don't know your products and they have to memorize the hundreds of products per store and that takes a learning curve is, is long so a lot of mistakes there so having a technology that would help these people reduce that learning curve and be consistent regardless of, of the location and then um, also the the pressure of being able to react or prevent problems with you with data because especially because customer behavior is changing every minute with the pandemic and companies cannot rely on data that they get a month later to make decisions anymore. Now you need data to take actions, to take corrective actions on the spot. So AI will allow you to do that. And on top of that, also more omnichannel sales that now people are buying online, they are buying at the store or they are buying online, but then they go to the store to pick it up. And you see retail shops that were designed for consumers now being used by pickers, people who put together what we bought online. So that creates a lot of out-of-stock problems, out-of-planogram issues that are were there before the pandemic, but now with this omnichannel model are even more challenging to solve. So all these trends combined have has accelerated the need and the the appetite for this uh, very traditional industry to adopt something that is really new. Yeah, fascinating. The pandemic has really changed us all in so many ways, hasn't it? Yes, hopefully for the best. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of good to take away from it. And you touched on an interesting point there at the end, uh, which is that companies have had to rapidly innovate and and take up new ways of working to deal with the situation. If you go a bit broader than that, a lot of these CPG and retail firms are probably attracted to the idea of using data and AI in the operations. But there is a big difference between wanting to do that and implementing solutions that might create marginal improvements versus something that's truly transformational at scale. What do you think are the biggest challenges you've faced in introducing your solutions to the CPG and retail industries in this space? Well, before the pandemic, one of the big challenges was that this industry was very traditional, very slow, and it it would take 
several years for them to understand and, and, and be willing to take a risk or a bet or they were, they were waiting for other companies to be the first and they, none of them or a few of them wanted to be the first. So that challenge has been mitigated with the pandemic that, as I mentioned, a lot of these companies, like most of these companies are willing now to be among the first to use this technology because they need it. But then this, the, the next challenge is for them to understand what it takes because it, this is not just a new feature. This is not a incremental improvement on a platform that you already have. This is a new way of thinking and doing business. So also understanding what it takes from you know designing the packages. So for, for computer vision solutions to work, the packaging has to be very different one from another. So like from preparing your uh, products, your processes and your people to use this and uh, be a data-driven company to actually also having the budget to, to do so. Having the budget, I, I wouldn't say is the hardest problem because when the company has a problem and you have the solution, they will make the budget, right? But it's also, it's the first thing is to acknowledge the, the problem and then be willing to go through that process. And I, I compare this to when the barcodes were introduced. Like at the beginning, nobody was using a barcode. Then there were a few companies, visionary companies that were, you know, they, they could see the future and they were betting on this technology. And then eventually it became the standard. And you cannot grow if you don't have this kind of technology. Like how are you going to manage all the variations of products that you have? Well, the same thing with AI and computer vision. Like, How are you going to manage all the different store settings or uh, product assortments that you have in thousands of hundreds of thousands of stores? Like, You cannot have a standardized planogram for thousands of stores, like five standardized planograms for thousands of stores. People are changing every day and the same store at a different location will need a different assortment. And it will need a different product assortment depending on the season as well. So all these changes, this personalization, customization is pushing the industry to use this new technology. So that's, a, and it's not just because of AI, it's because of where the world is moving towards and how consumers are changing. And AI is the tool for this today's problem. Yeah, nice way to put it. So in that there's a lot of complexity that has to come together. There is a computer vision you're using and there's an algorithm underneath that, but there's also how you serve that up in a package software and how it connects with the rest of the operational pipeline of the customer, uh, which is uh, just as complex as uh, what you're producing in a sense, or maybe even more complex. How did you ensure product market fit how did you develop a solution that was really helpful? Yeah, so we talk to customers, potential customers on a daily basis. And we hear, uh, first we want to understand what are the challenges they're facing today? What have they tried to do? Some of them have already tried technology similar to ours and we want to hear what, what were the challenges, what didn't work. Sometimes it, it, depending on the region, it was because of the cost, but most of the time it was because the technology was not friendly enough for the human. And that's a change that has to happen in, in, on the technology side in that the way we find product market fit beyond listening to customers is also improving the design of our product technology and processes to make it 
human first. So I want to elaborate on that. Up to maybe a year, computer vision technologies for this industry were designed for robots. You had to either the, a robot would take the pictures of the shelves or you will have to install specialized cameras to take the pictures. And then they, when they, the few companies that try to do it to let humans take pictures, they require humans to take overlapping pictures that were perfect, perfectly aligned. And that is not a user-friendly approach. It's, not a, it's a very time-consuming approach that will you know, take away any potential benefit that you can get from this technology. So our vision is that we are not creating AI to monitor humans. We are creating AI for humans to give them superpowers. And this is quite a challenge because we have to make it easy for them to collect the data. We have to make it error proof. Uh, we have to make it like really real time, not I will give you the information 10 minutes later. 10 minutes is a lot of time for this industry. I can have to give this like within one minute. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not fast enough. I have to give this in microseconds to you. So finding that product market fit, is, it was quite a process. And we're still discovering what we can do for this industry. This is, we're, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're all learning that AI can in, increase your efficiency, but AI can also allow you to do things that you couldn't do before without AI. But you need to, to go through a path before we can, we can get there. Yeah. And one of the decisions you made recently is to move your company from Panama to Silicon Valley. You've already touched on this. Why did you do that? And what have you gotten out of that move so far? Yeah, so when, when we founded the company, we knew we wanted to solve a global problem. We didn't want to solve a problem that was just specific to Panama, uh, especially because Panama is a very small country and very small market. We knew that at some point we had to expand. Like We still have operations in Panama and team members there, but we wanted to expand to Silicon Valley because... Like I, my last job over 15 years ago was in Silicon Valley. So I already knew the place. I've been coming here for, you know, the last 17 years. Um, my friends from Carnegie Mellon, most of them are also here. So we were already connected to the ecosystem here. So this was for us the most natural move as moving to maybe other really good startup ecosystems in the world as well. But so this was the one that we were mostly connected to. So we decided to expand. And the, the other reason beyond the market size in Panama is also the lack of resources, the lack of ecosystem. For startups, Panama is unfortunately like a desert. Nothing grows there. We are a mutant seed that could grow to a certain point, even in the desert, because of the resiliency of my co-founders and team members, and also our industry. Like we have been in this industry for decades and we have all studied and worked abroad. So, and we also had a very good network there, but we needed a fertile soil and Silicon Valley is that fertile soil for us. And when we moved here, I mean, we knew that we would achieve more because of the resources and the culture here but it has been beyond our imagination what we could have achieved in these almost three years that we have expanded here. So I think there's an important point here for listeners because 
a lot of people might not appreciate what a business unfriendly environment looks like. So Silicon Valley is the hotbed of startups and there's the right political and structural regulatory environment around it to, to do that. And a lot of listeners will come from countries that probably have a similar ease of setting up companies and getting employees and, and so on. Could you describe to listeners what it looks like in Panama and why it's so hard to get something like this off the ground there? Yes, uh, there are several layers to that. So first, there is the legal tax layer. So in Panama, you had to pay taxes since the moment you, you register a company. Like you haven't even made a dime and you're already paying taxes. So that's very unfriendly for any kind of business. It was also very difficult to know what was the legal procedure to establish a company. You have to go to five different government entities and you couldn't find information unless you hire a lawyer, which is also costs you money if you're bootstrapping. It's not that friendly. And then there is the, the market layer. Like most companies there, uh, they are small companies because the country is small, but most of them were, are also afraid to work with startups. Oh, I remember in my previous company, the first question they would ask was, how big is your company? Where is your office located? And how many big customers like me you already have? So, I mean, for established company is easier, but if you are starting, you know, there is no appetite for innovation there. And then there is the uh, talent pool. Uh, it is a small country. So even if you have some talented people there, it's going to be a few. And then finally, the lack of resources for startups. So lack of capital, lack of investment, but also lack of ecosystem of people doing similar things that you can also learn from and, and lean on. So there were many reasons why we had to expand here. Maybe other founders from other countries and, and even founders in Panama who have uh, who are solving a different problem, they might not have the challenges that we had. The fact that we are solving a global problem for the largest CPG companies in the world, it made us have to expand to Silicon Valley. Yeah, and that's a benefit for Silicon Valley, but a real shame for countries like Panama that don't have the right environment for these seeds to grow. And you can just see how over time it really just creates a different path, not just for the founders or the potential founders, but for the country as a whole. So thank you for elaborating on that and sort of making it really clear to us what, what that looks like in Panama. Yeah, and well, that's also, uh, like, of course, we have this responsibility with our investor and customers and, and my team members to, to make YC work. But we are also the, the hope of the country that there, you can do great things, even if you are in Panama. And we are trying to influence decision makers in the country and in any country. We, we have been, been invited to, to, to talk and speak to decision makers, several countries on how they can improve their ecosystem to allow for more innovation, to promote more innovation. And this is the harsh feedback we give them. It's not just about talking and creating webinars and, and showcasing founders. It's about making real change in the legal system, the tax system them education and also the culture like are companies willing to work with startups are people willing to work for startups or they are looking towards working the largest multinationals in the world fascinating i really hope you succeed because this is just such a big thing for parts of the world that don't have the right regulatory environment but it's also just a large part of 
the human race that is not set up to basically take advantage of the skills that they were born with in the same way that people in Silicon Valley and other places like that can do. Now, I mean, I want to move on to a bit broader than your company and, and talk about the future of AI and retail more generally. What in your mind are applications of AI in the consumer bag packaged goods and retail industries with the most potential? Well, there are so many challenges that are yet to be solved. And uh, so, for example, we are using AI, specifically right now, computer vision to solve the problems at the moment of truth. And we call it the moment of truth is because when you and I go to the store and the product is not there, it doesn't matter how look how good the product was and how attractive the design was and how much how many millions of dollars these companies invested in doing marketing and promotions and how much research and development they did in the product. At the moment of truth, the problem, the, the, the product was not there. So we are focusing with computer vision in that. But then there are other opportunities like how do you forecast yourself? How do you define the right assortment for that store? How do you think about the next product you should be developing? So a lot of those things can be, I wouldn't say like solved completely with AI, but AI would allow this industry to learn from data, but also anticipate what could happen to move from a reactive mode of, okay, how I am getting data, you know, at most once a month. And, and then the top, this, uh, this strategy level, you make decisions, but nothing have, happens at the operational level to move from reacting to acting, getting this data in real time for, to improve operations, and then eventually move forward to forecasting and preventing this, and then innovating. Like, what if we do this? What would be the impact? So there are a lot of areas. I think we are just exploring the tip of the iceberg. I don't think anybody can anticipate what AI can do for this industry and, and of course, many other ones in a responsible manner. So that's, that's what we have to look for. So what are the things that we should consider in, in that category of AI responsibility? What, what are the things that you perhaps look for in your company? Yes, we are very focusing in the human experience instead of the AI experience. Like we really jump hoops and have to innovate in making AI user-friendly as possible because we are moving away from, from an area where, where you are, when you say AI, people would think of robots. We have to move into an area when you say AI, you think of superhumans. How can AI augment human capabilities? And that's the way we at YC see our role. And that's why we're called YC. It's YC comes from wise and easy, AI for humans. And the, that's the change that uh, I, I, we are creating. And I hope that other companies that are in AI are also working from this, on innovation from this angle. Like, how do we make this easier for humans to be able to do their jobs better uh, or be happier or, and companies to be more profitable, but also more sustainable and then together create a better version of our world? Nice. I love that name. Wise and easy. <laughs> Making things easy is not that easy, but <laughs> we have to do it. I think uh, ease is the cornerstone of 
most applications, whether they are B2C or B2B, the, the success of something is often up to how easy it is to use. And that might be uh, stating the obvious, but sometimes people forget to actually uh, consider that when they build things, whether it's uh, really simple in-house applications that they build for themselves or, um, or marketed solutions like yours. Now, you talked a bit about a, f- a few applications of AI here. What are the biggest hurdles for the CPG and retail industries to overcome before these things become reality? The, the first part is to be a data-driven company, I'll say, even before AI, like learning to observe their own operations, collecting the, the right amount of data and looking into the data and not just collecting data for, for, for data sake and then having so much data, they don't know what to do. So what are the business challenges that these companies are facing nowadays that they're facing a lot more challenges and new challenges that they didn't have before? And how can they leverage the, the tools, the new tools that are designed for today to help solve this? So that doing that insight within the company, I think is the first step for any kind of change, whether it is AI-driven or not. So that's the first step. And then AI should come in as a tool. Is AI the right tool to solve this problem? Like We are not a good fit for certain kinds of companies, even in the CPG industry. And then if that is the case, then no AI will be able to solve the problem. So the first part is, again, for companies to really understand what the challenges, what are the challenges they're going through and then from there, identify the tactics that they can solve those and which of those they really need AI. And data is pervasive, right? Like you don't need to use AI, but you can do data to solve some of those. I couldn't agree more. And what I often say to people is we're, we're kind of like where we were in early 90s where we had an IT revolution and one of the things we had to do was educate everyone on using computers in the day-to-day. So everyone became computer literate. We learned how to use word processing and, and all the tools that we take for granted now in our business operations. And much like that time, even though it's 30 years ago, we're now seeing the same trend, but with data. So people need to become as data literate as they are uh, computer literate. So you don't put down your resume today that uh, you know how to use Word or uh, Outlook because that's expected that you uh, know how to do those things. But if you go back 20 years per se, that, that was the thing that you, you're really proud of because not everyone knew how to do those things. And I think it's incumbent on industries, but also everyone who working in, in industries that can be data-driven to actually consider that and take on take it upon themselves to educate themselves in how to become data-driven. So thank you for calling that out. Um, The other thing that you made me think of there was the size of your customers. uh, And we haven't heard of this, but what I'm imagining when you talk is is this big supermarket, you know, the Walmarts or the, the Tesco's where you have shelves and shelves and shelves of stuff. Are smaller retailers able to use your solution and get the same benefit? The companies that can get the best benefits out of AI, like not just YC, but any AI, a computer vision solution, are companies that have 
a lot of products in one category. So let's say you're a dairy company and you have a lot of yogurt flavors, or you are a shampoo company and you have a lot of shampoos and conditioners and all the hair products. And you are selling in many, many stores, thousands of stores, hundreds of users, like sales reps or and merchandisers. Because before you can use AI, you have to go through a process of machine learning. And if you don't have the volume as a CPG company or a retailer, then it wouldn't make sense from a financial perspective to make that investment in, in time and also cost to do so. So it, it's like, let's say you, if you have a few millions of annual revenue, then you know it, it might not make sense an investment in AI in, in our kind of solution. But if you are building billions of dollars per year and just improving 1% of 3% of all your auto stocks that returns more, a lot more millions. And yes, definitely this kind of technology is what is going to help you recover that revenue, but also make that jump to this new era of doing business. Okay. I think that gives us a good idea. Now, I mean, before we get to our closing questions, I have probably the toughest question of the day. And uh, I'm going to ask you to predict the future. Who do you think will be the winners and losers of this AI revolution in retail? I think the winners will be the agile companies. The, the, not the strongest or the biggest, but the ones that can adapt. And that's going back to Charles Darwin. <laughs> and what do I mean by adapting? Especially after you ask the question, like for smaller retailers and, and CPG companies, does it make sense to, to, to use AI? I think it makes sense to start learning about it, to prepare your company to be able to use it when, when you are ready, ready. And how do you start preparing? You have to learn about data, quantify your business, you know, be more numbers driven, and they make decisions using that instead of just doing guesstimates or, you know, winging it or, you know, uh, relying on the um, heroic efforts of your personnel. You can start learning in a more objective way and collecting data and learning about it and, as, as, and, and keep improving on different areas. So maybe product design or making your products ready for AI when you, are, uh, when you have achieved that volume. So I think the winners are the ones that will learn, will adapt, and are visionary to jump into this when it's the right moment for them. And then the losers are the ones that can change, that they believe they know everything and that this has worked for us in the past hundreds of years. Why it wouldn't work in the next hundred? Well, times are changing really fast. And I think after the pandemic, like we have all seen that it can change from one day to the other. So, yeah. Very good summary. And uh, one thing that I really related to there was uh, the ability now to make decisions using data. So a lot of people have this anxiety about the amount of data that they have to understand and and what data-driven decisions are and so on. But it's actually a massive benefit that we've never had before that we can measure accurately what's going on in our end-to-end -end operations. And we don't have to just rely on anecdotes and, and gut feel when we make decisions. So this is a real opportunity to create competitive advantage with data that you're highlighting. So thank you for that, Min. 
Now, I mean, before we get to closing remarks, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to get across that we haven't covered in this space? I think we have covered a lot of things, but a personal preference in, in this industry of data and AI, it sounds so cold, so, you know, so objective, right? So, so factual, but we have to remember that this objectiveness and data-driven approach should always go back to to improving human experiences. How can we be more conscious now that we, we see the data? How can we be more sustainable? How can we be more inclusive? How can we remove biases? Or do we even have biases in our data, right? Or is this data-driven approach in creating even more biases? Because that, that's something technology can do. Technology accelerate things. And if we, if we have a formula to make mistakes, we, we technology will be making more mistakes. So I, that's something I would like to see. Certainly something that we are pushing forward. And yes, we are at the beginning of this revolution, the fifth revolution. And it is really exciting to see companies that want to be more conscious when they are creating this new technology that instead of replacing human is going to give humans superpowers. Thank you for that great summary. Now, I mean, I have two questions for you at the end here. The first one is I always ask the guests on the show to pay it forward. And the way we do that is that I ask you the question of who you'd like to see as the next guest on leaders of analytics and why? Yes. Um, I know several founders who are working in biotech and their approach is to use AI to be able to anticipate problems, cancers or viruses that uh, can allow health professionals to prevent and treat those patients quickly. So I don't have a specific name right now, but I can think of several ones. Like I already have several ones in in in, in mind. It would be really interesting to under to 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 hear from them how data and AI is solving such difficult problems that affect a lot of the population in the world. And they are these people are heroes. I haven't explored that topic yet on the podcast, so I'm really intrigued by the opportunity to get in contact with some of these people. And uh, it's definitely one of these areas that have so much promise when it comes to AI and improving the lives and livelihoods of millions and millions of humans. So I will follow you up on that, Min, of course. after the show. Thank you for that recommendation. Now, the last question, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your content? To find out about uh, YC, is, our website is yc.ai, and we frequently publish new content there. We are, special announcement here, we are starting to develop an educational series to help the audience understand what we are also learning. So we are going to share what we're learning, the observations, what are the challenges that we see that also we, we see in the industry, but a challenge that we as creators of AI are facing and just put it out there. So yc.ai, our website, and then my LinkedIn and, and uh, account uh, or, or my Twitter and all the social media accounts as well. It's Min Chen at YC. I do recommend listeners check out YC. I learned a lot about the company from the website and could really see this product in action. So that made it very 
real and very visual for me. Min Chen, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics. It's been such a pleasure to learn more about you and your company today. And uh, all the best with future endeavors and YC, the company. Thank you, Jonas. It has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you and your audience. <laughs>